We turn today to the letter to the Hebrews. And by the way, the, the title of the sermon in your bulletin, well, that's old news. Uh, there's, a, there's a new title in town. Uh, and the new title is called God in Reverse. That changed after the bulletin had been printed. We turn to the letter to the Hebrews as it's called, but perhaps more aptly it should be titled The Sermon to the Hebrews because that's actually what it is. It is a sermon that was preached. And we begin with the very first words and then we'll jump to chapter 2. Imagine the preacher standing up in front of the crowd. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels. But someone has testified somewhere, in other words, Psalm 8, What are human beings that you are mindful of them, or mortals that you care for them? You've made them for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now, in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them But we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Our fervent prayer this morning, O God, is that you let now the words of my mouth and the meditation on all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Speak to us, lift us, crack us open. You might flood our very being with the hope of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Does God sometimes feel far away to you? Do you sometimes think of God as kind of like a distant relative? You know, 
like that long-lost aunt or uncle that you have, but you have no way to get in touch with. Sometimes God feels like that to me. Far off, distant, hard to reach, hard to know. Sometimes. Quite often we use words that enhance or augment that kind of feeling about God. We use words like sovereign and omnipotent and majestic and omnipresent and omniscient. We call God Lord of the universe, King of creation. We often start our prayers with Almighty God. All of which point to this aspect of God that makes God feel far away, distant. So big, in fact, that makes us wonder if God has any time for little old us at all. The beginning of this sermon in Hebrews feels a lot like that. Oh, it starts off well enough, and for a second we kind of feel like maybe it's going gonna, it's gonna to come close to home, but, but it veers away from that. It starts off, you know, long ago God talked to us, spoke to us, spoke to the ancestors through the prophets, but in these last days he spoke to us, speaks to us through a son, and for a second, for a split second we go, oh, now we might be on to something. But then, like we always do, the preacher goes right back to those big, huge words in describing the son The Son, the heir of all things, the one in whom God created all the worlds, the one who sustains all things with his powerful word, the exact imprint of God's very being, all these big, huge descriptives that once again make us feel like we're simply getting another picture of a God who is far away, hard to reach, hard to know. A cosmic Christ. How could he have any time for us? That's what it feels like when you start listening to this sermon from Hebrews. And then it doesn't stop. It keeps going. It turns the spotlight on us. Makes it even feel more that way. It goes on to quote Psalm 8. says, Mortals, what, what mind do you have for mortals? What have you in mind for them? You've made them a little lower than the angels. That kind of feels good. But then it says this line that just, just sinks us. You subjected all things under their feet. Just, uh, and so we just get this feeling of this big, huge God with Seems far off and distant, hard to know. This big cosmic Christ, heir of all things with the exact imprint of God's very being. How could? And then the weight of the world rests solely on our shoulders. We end in that place, these first lines from Hebrews, and we're just sunk. It's too much. We can't take all that. It's too much. Even the preacher acknowledges it. Goes on to say, as it is. We do not yet see everything. By that point, we're like, right. 
We don't. So what's with this weight? Why does it do that? Well, I think it does it on purpose. The reason I think it does that on purpose, the preacher does that on purpose, is because this sermon was preached to second-generation Christians. In other words, they didn't spend their time running around with Peter, James, and John. John and those guys, those guys were all but gone. I mean, they're gone. These were second-generation Christians. They came later. So God, for them, was more distant. Christ, for them, was more distant. They weren't as closely intertwined with the actual events of Jesus' life and ministry. There's some distance created now between them. Perhaps they were in that place where they were once again feeling as if God is far off and, and not close at hand, and, and this Christ was, was nothing but the same thing reiterated all over again. Perhaps they were in that place, and like any good preacher tries to do, it tries to, they try to be where the people are. And so I think what this sermon is trying to capture is the essence of that perceived reality, to get us into that place where we're, oh, it's too much, it's too much, right before slips in that line that changes the whole of everything. It's so subtle that if you're not careful, you'll walk right over it and not even see it. As it is, the preacher says, as it is, we do not yet see everything but we do see Jesus. We don't see everything, but we do see Jesus. That one line, that one little simple line changes it all. When we think about that, when it sinks in, it impacts us in a certain way. This great, big, omnipresent, omniscient, huge, massive, but we do see Jesus. We do see Jesus. And what the preacher is doing is lifting up for us both the uniqueness and the struggle of our faith. A God we can see and feel and touch. For in this Son, we not only have uh, another prophet. This isn't just some other prophet. In this Son, we don't have a partial God or a half God. In this Son... We get the whole of God, the fullness of God, the, the one true God, the real God, the real thing. How is that possible? The exact imprint of God's very being, how can that be? This is the question that comes out of our realization once we get to that one little soul phrase of we do see Jesus. How could it be that God became one of us. How could it be that one of us 
is God. How is that even, how could those two things coexist in this one person? How is that possible? It's the struggle of our faith, and we've struggled with it from the very beginning moment that the first message was sent out. Theologians spend their entire life on this stuff. That one simple question, they spend their whole life on it, trying to answer it. Swiss theologian Karl Barth, when talking about Jesus, says he's very God and very man. Friedrich Schleiermacher, a German theologian, comes at it a little differently. He says, in Jesus Christ, we have someone with a fully actualized God consciousness. My seminary professor, Cindy Rigby, always used to, still does, says, talks about Jesus in this way, that Jesus is the stuff of God. The stuff of God, as she puts it. And yet, with all this academic rigor and energy on this one uniquely Christian and question of faith, we have yet to even begin to scratch the surface. We have yet to fully understand what a God who has come to be with us, to be like us, to be one of us, is one of us, looks like and what that means in our lives. And yet in those very moments we look at that and we know what it's saying. We know what the preacher of Hebrews is getting at is that that same imprint that is the exact imprint of God's very being in Christ's very being also is translated into our very being. So we carry that same imprint, however slightly, however momentarily, we carry that same imprint in us. We struggle with all of that. I think one of the reasons we do struggle actually is because we struggle with a God who has become one of us, a big God who's kind of knelt down to become one. We struggle with that because we don't often experience God in that way. That's not the typical way we experience God. In other words, what I'm saying is, in the Bible, quite often we get these massive, wide-sweeping descriptions of God and then the experience of God that follows, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being through the Word, and the Word, Word, became flesh. In Acts, they have, it says, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and then... But that's not how we often experience God in the world and in life. In fact, it's quite the other way around. Quite often, we have the experience first. And then, in the moments after, we realize the significance and the meaning of that experience. We don't often come into some moment knowing exactly what it's going to be about. In fact, when we try to do that, we're always wrong. So we have the experience first, and then in those moments afterward, we look back on it and we, we say, something happened there. We have an encounter with someone else. We walk away, we look back, and we say, wait a minute, I think God was in that. I think I experienced God in that. Something surprises us in a way we never expect, and we walk away kind of in a state of shock. We look back and we say, wait a minute, I think Jesus was part of that. In life and in the world, 
we often experience God in reverse. When we baptize, what do we see first? Water. We talk about water. We splash around in the water. I invite kids up and say, what do y'all see, kids? Water. They say water. We say water. We know what it is. We see it. We know what that is. It's only when we take that water and we place it on that precious, beautiful, innocent life that we walk, from it, we, we walk away from it and say, I think that was Jesus right there. When we come to this table, what do we see? We see bread. We see cup. It's only in the moments after, quite often, that we look back on it as we've shared bread and cup with people of God from all over the world, and we've said, wait a minute, I think Jesus was there. I think that was Jesus. I think I've just been fed by Jesus. If I've been fed by Jesus, at some point we have this recognition, this moment where maybe a little light goes on, and we say, oh, I think that means I'm carrying some of that with me somehow and some mystery that... I, too, have the imprint of God in my very being. But it's only after we experience God quite often in reverse. Now, here's why that matters. Here's why being reminded that The weight of the world does not rest solely on our shoulders matters. Here's why remembering and being told that God has become one of us in Jesus Christ and matters. Here's why if we really do experience God in reverse quite often in this world and in life matters. Here's why it matters. Here's why it matters right this very second, this very hour, this very day, in this very moment in time and all of eternity. Here's why that matters. Because if it really is true that we often experience God that way in reverse, if it really is true, then when you don't see God, when you don't recognize the presence of God. When, if it really is true that we actually, in some mysterious way, carry God's imprint in the world in which we live, then when we don't see God, it is up to us to be what we don't see. To be what you don't see. When you look out at the world and all you see are people getting walked right over, then it is up to you to turn around and go and pick them back up. When you look out in the world and all you see are people that aren't being heard, then it is up to you to give them your ear. When you look out and all you see is brokenness, then it is up to you to be part of God's healing if all of this is true. If it is all you look out and see is darkness, then it is up to you to bring the light. After all, We don't yet see everything, but we do see Jesus 
through you, someone else might experience God in reverse. That's why it matters. Amen.